Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. The first efforts to establish e-prescribing in the US started in 2001. However, by 2004, only 4% of clinicians had adopted it. Electronic prescribing became legal in all states by 2007, and by 2015, electronic prescribing of controlled substances and prior authorization were well established on the singular e-prescribing network enabled by SureScripts. In 2022, a new player entered the market, founded by FDB, a global provider of clinical decision support tools and resources for medications. FDB Villa sets itself apart with newer technology and additional features. They're also working on building a veterinarian e-prescribing network. In today's discussion with Lade Bigler, Vice President of Clinical Network Services at FDB and General Manager of FDB Villa, you'll hear more about what exactly is e-prescribing under the new network, how is FDB planning on improving medication information on the patient side and how they wish to make pharmacogenomics insights more easily accessible. Enjoy the show, but just before we begin, I have a quick favor to ask. This show is freely available and if you like it or are a regular listener, you can support the production by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. That way, others in the digital health space can find the show more easily and it can help us move forward. Thank you. And if you haven't yet, do check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Find the links in the show notes. Now let's dive in. Late, hi, and thank you so much for joining me on Faces of Digital Health to discuss electronic prescribing in the U.S. Now, electronic prescribing can mean many things. It can refer to doctors sending prescriptions to pharmacies electronically, or it can refer to digital medication management and prescribing in the hospital for internal needs during the inpatient care. So what are we talking about when we talk about FDB Villa and e-prescribing? That's a great question. I think e-prescribing is a lot of things. I think though the way that we view that is really the entire ecosystem with all of the components that essentially enable a provider to access decision support uh, that helps them create, develop, and write a safe and accurate prescription and then we see e-prescribing also being the part that, that we feel can communicate and inform the patient and help them make decisions. And then, of course, the component that includes the delivery of a prescription electronically in a safe and secure way to a pharmacy, whether that be mail order, retail or a specialty. 
If we just stop at the point where you mentioned patients, how exactly do they leverage uh, of this system? Do they also see their prescriptions electronically and can check for, I don't know, interactions, contraindications and things like that? So that is one of the key differentiators of Vila um, as an e-prescribing network. Our key focus has been how do we innovate in this space to provide more value to the stakeholders involved? And when I say stakeholders, that, that includes health plans and pharmacy benefit managers, providers, EHR systems, of course, pharmacies, as I mentioned. But I think there's one key element that we've been leaving out of e-prescribing for the last 20 years, and that is the patient. I often refer and joke about, remember the good old days when you would go into a doctor's office here in the United States and the provider would write a prescription on a piece of paper and you as a patient would walk out with that script and really the sky's the limit. You have the opportunity to go to any pharmacy that you want, depending on what your route home from work is that evening or whatever reason that it is, you can go to any pharmacy that you feel like. And unfortunately, as we've digitized this process, we've left that patient completely out. So to answer your question, yes, we believe that there's an opportunity where we can keep the, far, keep the patient in the loop during the e-prescribing process, inform them, provide them price transparency information, provide them with content that helps them understand why are they taking the drug? What's the proper way to take that drug? And we believe that's going to help the patient in that process. Okay, that's very interesting because in many instances in countries that actually have e-prescribing available, it's still not universally available globally. In Europe, we see countries that are just at the beginning of implementing that and struggling with everything that comes with setting up the infrastructure to enable e-prescriptions. But the U.S. actually have a really long history of the e-prescribing network. I was just looking at that earlier, and basically the first idea or company started working on this already in 2001. And then after four years, 4% of prescribers were using e-prescribing. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because I think it's a little bit encouraging to a sense to where we are today, where we are banging our heads with problems of just adoption and how slowly things are moving. But I guess even solutions like that show us that it takes time. Hardly in 2015 was then the whole network actually created with everything in it from prior authorization from controlled substances also in the electronic form. So maybe how do you see the whole history of e-prescribing in the U.S. and where do you come in with this new network? Yeah, great points and great questions. I always give credit where credit is due. There are many pioneers in this space. And I think what's interesting is that a lot of these services and solutions within the United States or American healthcare doesn't start at the government level, right? It starts more at the commercial level and or the private. And so it, it does take time as these solutions in early 2000s came about because there was no regulation or regulatory requirements around it. And I think where we really started to see progress, to your point, is when CMS started to get involved and require providers to start e-prescribing because Oh, and I was there during the early days of adoption of e-prescribing, and it was really difficult. It took a long time, and I think providers initially felt like it was going to take more time for them to e-prescribe rather than just write on that pad of paper and give it to the patient. And and at that point, the provider, and I don't mean this in a negative way, was, okay, I'm done. I've done my job, and now I can move on to the next patient, whereas 
of the e-prescribing process required a little bit more attention. It required writing a script cleaner electronically, leveraging those requirements. And I think it's safe to say that nothing in healthcare in the United States moves quickly. It all takes time. And even by introducing a new alternative network in the market, it just takes time to get those adoptions because it is a three-sided network, right? It's not just about connecting doctors to pharmacies. It's about connecting PBMs and payers to pharmacies and, and to providers and providers to pharmacies and so forth. So it's a lot of work. What's the relationship between the two e-prescribing networks that exist now? So are they a competition one to the other? Do prescribers use both networks? How does it work? Yeah, I think it's it really requires... I, I, the other network has so much connectivity, vast connectivity in the market. Essentially, all the pharmacies are connected to them in, through one way or another. And essentially, all the providers and PBMs are connected to them to all the way from one way to the other. So... It's difficult for a new network to come in and say, just switch all the way over to us because we don't have the vast connectivity that the other network has. Our conversations with our partners is, look, we're we're trying to do something different. We're offering new value propositions that can include new feature functionality. We're leveraging newer, more, more innovative technology. That's the benefit of being a startup is we get to leverage the brand new technology that's available. And some of the, the advantages may be just simply pricing might be better because our network is leaner and we can charge less. So our ask is leverage our network where we can provide connectivity as an alternative. Leverage the other network where we can't right now until we either get the connectivity that we need in the market. And so our encouragement right now, with, with especially with EHRs or pharmacies, is why not leverage both networks and use that to your advantage? Mm-hmm. And how far have you come since you started working on this? FDB Vila was announced at HIMSS 2022, so a year and a half approximately. Absolutely. Well, I could, like I mentioned, the market doesn't move that quickly, but I am happy to say that we do have connectivity on all sides of the network. We're working with partners. We invite all to participate in Vila. We're not turning anyone away, whether they be a large vendor that has been a customer of FDB for many years or whether it's been startups. I think one thing that has surprised me is just still the amount of small organizations trying to innovate in the market today, whether they be electronic prescribing systems, whether they be new EHRs that are specialty driven, whether they be whether they're new soft pharmacy software vendors coming into the market. And so it's really exciting to see the energy by a lot of these new players who aren't getting a lot of attention at, with the other network are coming to be able to participate in our network. And I'm really excited about that. And what are the, the potential? Okay, so we, we talked a lot about the positive sides of just having a, an additional e-prescribing network, especially with new functionalities, especially with the large focus on the patients and their understanding of their medications, because I think that we still have a lot of opportunities there to prevent medication errors, which in many cases happen in the community when the patient's already at home alone with those 15 prescriptions that have no apparent logic how medications should be used and why. And one thing that I 
remember very strongly from 2021 was an article in Wired that basically talked about a software that tried to prevent the abuse of opioids in a way that it would give patients specific scores in terms of how many opioids have they already taken or prescription that they picked up. And obviously, this is possible when you monitor and capture information digitally. The problem there was that basically there was an example of a patient that got rejected a prescription for opioids for pain because of a high score that was actually a consequence of her picking up a prescription for her dog. And basically, prescriptions are not written on the dog's name, they're written on the owner's name. So in that sense, I wanted to ask you for a bit of a comment and also the focus that you have on veterinary care also. Very good. No, absolutely. When we announced last year at HEMS, we did announce that we were the, Vila was the very first national veterinarian e-prescribing network. And so that means that we've enabled veterinarians to be registered with Vila so that they can actually be on an electronic network and start writing prescriptions to pharmacy retailers. And those could be both human as well as pet specific pharmacies, because about 50% of all pet prescriptions can be written with a human drug. And so there's really no reason why, but why they can't start leveraging a network like ourselves to start sending prescriptions to even regular pharmacies. But what you just outlined is an issue, right? Because if it's in the owner's name and that's being logged or dinged within like a, a, pro, a state program that's logging all of the specific prescriptions for patients, the prescription drug monitoring programs, et cetera, then it could be problematic. So the great thing about our network and our system is we're creating some clarity around the difference between a pet script or versus a human script. We can report on that. We can provide information on that. And we think that, I think that's been a big issue with the state boards of pharmacies in a lot of cases where they're requiring so much advanced reporting on, on prescription drug monitoring in, in specific states, but they don't have visibility into veterinarian prescriptions. And we believe this is problematic. And in order for us to cut down on fraud, waste, and abuse in that area, we need to have an electronic system that tracks it, reports on it, and helps balance what is being abused and what is not for individuals. And what's the most difficult thing for you, you know, with the creation of this network? So I was just thinking that it's good for doctors to be able to send prescriptions electronically, but do they really have an incentive to support, like further support for patients and the features that you're creating? I'm basically referring to the perverse incentives in healthcare. You improve care, you decrease demand for care, which can impact like the business results of institutions. In that sense, how are you developing your business model? So we're working really closely with the, specifically our EHR partners because, remember, they control the workflow for the prescriber, right? And the last thing that we want to do is innovate and bring value to one stakeholder, but it costs problems for another, right? And if we're asking the doctor to do more or do something that's very different than their normal workflow, that's really not a, a good solution. So we're working very closely with our EHR partners to help generate workflow that really brings value to the prescriber as well as to the patient as we inform them. But I'll give you a, a kind of a, perhaps an anecdote around this, that 
Right now, there's, there's a lot of requirements coming down from whether it be state level or CMS around price transparency and helping patients to understand what their drug benefit costs are going to be when they're prescribed therapy. Right now, most of the weight of that is being bored by the provider. The provider is being given price transparency information. And I think that's a, it's a good sentiment to enable a provider to do that. But remember, this is going to take the doctor more time in the exam room to now price shop with patients on what's going to be the best for them financially. And what we would rather do is we'd rather also provide those tools directly to the consumer or to the patient so that they can enable that themselves. And remember, I don't know if my, my mom is going to access an app to look at pricing, but I know that my kids will do that for sure. Our next generation knows they're very capable of shopping using apps and engaging information that helps them make decisions, whether it be pricing, whether it be drug content. And so our focus is really enabling the prescriber and the member or the patient to understand what the benefit is, understand what the, the therapy is and what that price is going to look like and provide transparency. But to answer your question on, on what's the most difficult part around that, I think first on the veterinarian side, the vet veterinarians don't really understand e-prescribing. Most of them have been, if they're writing a script, typically it's local, it's on a piece of paper, or they're logging into a portal and entering it to a to a farm a direct pharmacy portal. But what's problematic about that is if you're a veterinarian and, you're, and you have to send 20 prescriptions to 20 different locations that day, you're logging into 20 different portals trying to write the prescription trying to remember all your passwords, and then there's no central record of those prescriptions in a system. So we're trying to educate and help the veterinarian community with that right now, which is going to be an, a lift. I often tell my team that the veterinarian community reminds me very much of the human healthcare side in 1998. I'm thinking, how come you, for example, didn't, instead of building your own network, just go to the existing one and maybe try to partner and leverage from the existing infrastructure. Where do you see is the benefit of starting everything from scratch? Are you working on a completely different technology? Is it just a business decision to go your own way and see what you can get out of the market? Yeah, I think the technology is a very important component. The other network is an older network. And again, giving credit where credit is due, they've made substantial progress in the e-prescribing market. But we have very advanced, innovative ideas that we really want to bring to market. And we, we, it required newer technology. We also believe that competition is just good. It's good to have competition. It is through competition that we progress so much in so many markets that we do bring new innovations. And really, if you look at e-prescribing over the last 20 years, it really hasn't changed much. We've added a few new message types here and there, but fundamentally e-prescribing has not changed in 20 years. Our intention is to, ch is to change that. Speaking of different markets, FDB is a global company. Are you thinking of going to other markets with e-prescribing too? So right now, our focus is definitely on the U.S. healthcare and trying to bring value there. We do have solutions and assets in different parts of the world. But I think in a lot of those cases, there's a lot more centralized healthcare there, and they've already got a lot of the, the rails for e-prescribing. I wouldn't say never say never, but I, I think right now our focus is definitely U.S. healthcare. 
And I just thought that your whole move from knowledge management and providing clinical decision support to actually creating an e-prescribing network was very interesting because it's, in essence, a completely new and different product and product offering. You can, as you mentioned, leverage a lot from your existing products. So I'm wondering, are you thinking even further into the electronic prescribing in the hospital setting where you need to take care of the needs around prescriptions for doctors, pharmacists, nurses? Uh, I guess US is a bit specific because large-scale EMRs already have that. But who expected three years ago that there's going to be a new e-prescribing network? <laughs> I'm glad that we were able to surprise a few people with that. It's As you said, FDB has been providing decision support and solutions in the market for many decades now. And in fact, if you really look at it, it this is really a, nat- a very natural fit for FDB. The content that we do provide assists a prescriber with writing a prescription electronically. And as we met with many of our customers and stakeholders within e-prescribing, we asked them, how can FDB bring you more value? And a lot of the responses we got were around the fact that FDB does such a great job of providing the decisions port and content to help create a prescription. Why doesn't FDB also get into the market of actually transmitting that prescription or delivering it and extending that information on to the next step? So we felt like it was actually a very natural position and place for FDB to go. We have been providing services as FDB to health systems, large health systems, payers, PBMs, pharmacies, EHRs for for many years. We definitely took our time to get their feedback and really understand their perspectives of e-prescribing before we made any decisions. And that's really been a benefit to us because I feel like as we do work with these stakeholders, we're able to find those value propositions that are meaningful to them. Has anything surprised you in the whole research process when you were talking to users, what they would appreciate in a new e-prescribing solution? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of the the surprises or what I would say pleasant reactions were really around the member or consumer engagement piece of this. So many stakeholders feel like that it's long overdue for patients to get more access to their prescription information, not later, but during the e-prescribing process. And I think what surprised us is even, even stakeholders who we feel like may hold the patient a little closer to and trying to walk them and step them through the, this process we were really happy to see that they really liked the idea of the patient getting more access to more information digitally and electronically, even if it's through a, through their phone, then, then rather than them just getting information over the counter through, from advice from a pharmacy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, what can you already share in terms of what the findings are so far from the data that, that you've managed to gather of the existing users? Again, right now, we're certainly in that startup mode where we're trying to bring up several endpoints on each side of the network. What we're finding is that a lot of the the systems that exist in the market today have only been able to support one network. And so it's working with them to help them develop the logic within their systems to support a dual network market, which we feel like is going to bring a lot of value to them. And it's interesting to see just the way that they react to the idea of 
being able to look at networks as redundancy. Today, there is only one network, and that often brings an opportunity for failure. Systems do go down. You know, it, whether it's a pharmacy system, an EHR system, or a network system, these are there's a lot of moving parts with that, and so oftentimes those can go down. So we, we've seen a lot of really good feedback around, especially EHRs and pharmacies, seeing another network as being a re, an opportunity for redundancy to ensure that networks keep up, prescriptions are being delivered, regardless of what outages or issues might be hap happening. Mm -hmm. And do you have any anticipations in terms of how this is going to develop further? I'm just thinking how much more information and data could you get and how much more could prescribers get if they had additional information about how patients take medications or what kind of tools do they use in the whole e-prescribing environment? I think we're, I certainly think we as a market are moving in the right direction. The idea of transparency is such a critical point. Being able to provide a provider or a patient with transparency on what costs are associated with certain drugs and prescriptions. I think also the advancements that we're making with genomics and leveraging genetic profiles to help us provide more precision medicine around drug drugs that are being prescribed. Some drugs react differently based on our human genome, right? And it's really a critical that we are able to provide more of that decision information at the point of prescribing so that we make less mistakes for patients that are going to either interact negatively with a drug or not may not react at all with a drug. And so I, I think we're moving in the right direction where both the payer and the pharmacy and the provider are willing to share more critical information about a patient that will help us create a better a better prescription, a cleaner prescription for a patient. So I'm very optimistic about, about furthering, going further along with genomics because I think it's going to open up a lot of opportunities for us as a market. We actually had, I had a discussion with a pharmacogenomic specialist from the Mayo Clinic in one of the previous episodes where we basically went through where is the field at the moment. In the US, I think there's a lot happening. FDA is already labeling drugs based on the knowledge that we have about pharmacogenomics. But I guess the tricky part is when you have medications that actually impact those enzymes and what you would initially think about the patient actually changes. So there is definitely a lot of space for the improvement in the literacy and in the knowledge that already exists. And I guess, in a way, you as the knowledge provider have a great advantage here, right? I believe so. I think we have a great advantage because we have a lot of the connections made today already. But I, I think as we continue to work with those organizations that are advancing in genomic research, they're able to do a lot of the drug to genomic interaction, drug, genomic to or drug to allergy interaction like FDB does today. It's a very natural fit, I think, both at the content level as well as the network level like we're doing with Vila. Because mm -hmm. if we're able to If we're able to access a patient's profile genetically when they're being prescribed a drug and check to make sure that there's not going to be any negative reactions to that in real in near real time, that that's pretty advanced. We're really getting down to that precision medicine that we all want to get to in the United States. And I think as as soon as we start opening up more to 
to regular patients being able to do genomic tests and making that an accessible thing for them, we're going to see a lot of advancements there. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to the show, or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Stay tuned.